Revelation chapter 14. Uh, let me pray for us and we'll dig right in. Father, we thank you uh, for, for this book. We thank you for this time that we get to spend together each week uh, in this book. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for Pastor Jim and, and Pastor Derek and, and Pastor Tony who have just been faithful stewards uh, going through the book of Revelation, which for so many of us, uh, me included, is, is a very intimidating book. Uh, but yet, nevertheless, it, it's your word. We're instructed to, to teach it. We're instructed to be taught by it. And furthermore, Lord, you promised a blessing for those that would sit under the preaching of this word and for those that would teach it. And so, Lord, we receive that blessing. God, we want to walk in the fullness of your counsel. Uh, we want to be instructed by you, even the hard things. Lord, let us, let us wrestle until we're made to be more like you. And I pray that's what happens tonight, God, as we meditate upon these things, as we see you clearly in the scriptures. Uh, Father, would you just make yourself known to, known to us in our hearts? And uh, Lord, that, that there would be an excitement just to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, we went through uh, Revelation uh, chapter 13, and, and Pastor Derek, uh, I love how we kind of started off just talking about the fact that, hey, we're going to talk about uh, the one person I really don't like talking about. I'd rather talk about Jesus, but uh, our subject tonight is going to be the Antichrist. And so if you were with us uh, last Thursday, we spent quite a bit of time talking about the Antichrist, um, and today we're, we're kind of transitioning from that. He's, he's still going to be part of what we're talking about today, but our focus is now back on Jesus, which is what the, the book of Revelation is all about. I made the mistake once. I was on a radio program. Thankfully, we weren't live and, uh, with Pastor Derek, and I, and I said the book of Revelations, and, uh, and Pastor Derek looked at me and goes, it's the book of Revelation. Big difference, right? Because as Pastor Derek told us earlier, there's only, there's only one thing that's fully being revealed in this book, and that is uh, the person of Jesus Christ, his faithfulness and his conquering power. And uh, so that's a little bit of what we're going to look at tonight. If you would, just take a look with me at the very first verse, and it says this, Then I looked, uh, so this is after the, the Antichrist has now taken his place, uh, remember the last thing that we read was about the mark of the, be the beast. Uh, verse 18, I'll just, I'll just jump back, sorry. It says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. And then, then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him, 140,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. So we can see, and, and Pastor Derek alluded to this last week, how uh, the, devil, the devil is a, a, a counterfeit. He, he, he's got nothing new under the sun. In fact, um, the truth is he admires God, not in a way that is admirable, but in a way that uh, he tries to mimic the things that God does. And so we see that the mark of the beast is either on the, the, forehand, uh, the forehand or the forehead. And we see that that's a direct result of the fact that when God marks his people, he's going to mark them, his name will be written on their forehead. Jesus will, I, I just, uh, just a couple uh, connotations here. I want to note that uh, 
as you read the book of Revelation, especially in this chapter, you'll see that time and time again, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb. And I think that's an important reference because a lot of times we'll say things like, um, in the scriptures it says that, uh, that the former things will be remembered no more. And, and so we think in some sense we'll have no memory of our past. And I don't believe that that's true. Uh, I believe it's true in some sense that, uh, that we won't remember the things that don't need to be remembered, right? But there's another sense in which we call him the lamb. In other words, we will know Jesus forever as the one who died for our sins. Uh, I don't know if we'll remember the details of what we did on the earth uh, that, were, that were blasphemy, uh, to God that, that uh, grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't know if we'll remember those details, but we will remember forever that, that Jesus Christ alone is the one who delivered us from the wrath that was to come. We'll remember that he was the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the earth, that God had set his love on us in such a way that he had already predestined that his son would die for us. We'll know that for all of eternity. And that will be the root of our praise. And so I think it's important as we go through the book of Revelation, that, that as we read the word, the lamb, that we just kind of pause and meditate and think, this is his eternal name forever. He'll be known for what he uh, accomplished. The love of God was, was fully seen, and the experience of all that we ever encounter in heaven will be correlated with what he did on the cross. So that in one sense, we'll be enjoying the now and forever, looking back, and saying it was because of what he did. And we'll say glory, honor, and power belong to the Lamb. Amen? Amen. And the one who sits on the throne. The 144,000, as, as Pastor Derek walked us through, and Pastor Jim as well, um, is, as we firmly believe, is uh, the, the remnant of Jews that are saved uh, I'm going to keep reflecting on the, some of the things that Pastor Derek caught us through, just assuming we need a uh, reminder, as well as for those that weren't here uh, in earlier teachings. But uh, we were told how, if you look in Matthew chapter 24, that Jesus gives a stern warning to those who are in Jerusalem, that when they hear uh, the abomination of desolation, that is that the Antichrist has now sat on the throne, is pro has proclaimed to be God, that if, if, if you're on the rooftop of your house, don't even go down and grab your belongings. Get out of Jerusalem as fast as you can. Why? Because the moment that the Antichrist claims himself to be God, he's going to start persecuting uh, the Jews as well as Christians. And again, everyone who doesn't get the mark on their hand or their forehead will be slaughtered. And so, and so once you hear that news, you're, you're to get out. Uh, Pastor Jim, as well as Pastor Derek, shared with us how um, it is believed that where they might hide for three and a half years is the Rock of Petra, where, where, where they'll be preserved by Jesus Christ himself. God will have his hand upon them. He'll provide for their needs and protect them. But now we see that Jesus is standing with the 144,000. Um, I'm not sure exactly the chronological order of these events. It's possible that now Jesus has led them out of what may be the rock of Petra, and now he brings them into the land of Jerusalem, the very place where the Antichrist uh, had been sitting, uh, the very place where all kind of abominations were taking place. In fact, if you were to go to Jerusalem like 
right, right now. Um, you would actually, I was surprised when I went to see that I'm, I'm standing, as it were, on, on holy ground. This is, out of all the world, this is the epic center of the world. This is the place where God has chosen uh, to make his name known in all of the earth. And all that happens here uh, is, is, if you will, the, the, God's reputation is on the line, right? And, and God has chosen to set his name in Jerusalem. Now, the irony is that if you were to go to Jerusalem right now, that you wouldn't walk away with that thought unless you knew the scriptures. Because what you would actually hear are loudspeakers uh, erected uh, around Jerusalem and specifically erected around the Temple Mount uh, where Solomon's temple was, where the Dome of the Rock uh, now stands. Uh, you'll hear songs uh, sung to Allah from Muslims. And so it's kind of like this irony that uh, you're standing in God's land and what you're hearing on loudspeakers, whether you believe in Allah or don't believe in Allah, the Muslim God, is you're forced to hear his worship. And so there's an abomination that's taking place, and so it is when the Antichrist comes, even greater abominations. But now here we see that Christ brings his redeemed and they stand in, in, in Mount Zion, which is uh, whether that's chronologically correct to say that he brought them out of the Rock of Petra where they've been hiding for three and a half years and now brings them into the land. The principle is the same regardless, which is uh, Jesus Christ will have the last say. Amen. Amen? And his people will worship him in that land once again. And so that's just a, a, a principle I want to pull out of there. But just kind of moving on, I, I want to also make note of the fact that God has his name written on their foreheads. I think that symbolizes uh, two things. Not, not to say that it is in itself a, a symbol. And maybe it's very literal that his name is literally written on their foreheads. But in any case, it tells us this, that they are not ashamed to call God their father. And it also means this on the flip side, that God is not ashamed to call them his children. And we see that in the Gospels, don't we? Where, where Jesus says, uh, if you will not be ashamed of me and my gospel, I will not be ashamed of you in front of my father and his angels. And I just think it's a beautiful picture to think that, that God wants to be so intimate with his people that he would that he would. Write his name. Now, somebody might listen to that, and you might think, well, that, that's, uh, that's weird. And I would say, well, well, think about it like this. There, there's, no greater, there's no greater name than the name of God. There, there's no greater name than the name of Jesus. That at that name, every tongue will confess, and every knee will bow. And they'll confess that Jesus is Lord. And, and, and the fact that that name could be read upon uh, not only our hearts, but physically upon our bodies for all to see. Sign me up. Sign me up. Which, which by the way, uh, you think about it the other way around. The, the people are going to do this for the Antichrist. They're going to say, sign me up. How much more uh, should we not desire that God's name be upon uh, what is called his temple, our bodies? In verse 2, and I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder, 
And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Now, upon first reading, somebody might think of Revelation 5.8, where it says that the elders had harps in their hands when they, when they bowed before the Lamb. Uh, is this the elders? And, and I think the obvious answer is no, because it says that they were before the living creatures and the elders. I think that this can be none other than the 144,000 themselves, that they have a song upon their lips, which nobody else is able to sing but them. And this speaks of uh, a special redemption, that what, what God does in this hour in the earth, the way that he glorifies his name by redeeming these 144,000 is unique, but it's also unique to them who receive it in the sense that they're able to give God praise in a way that nobody else is able. But what are the words? Well, the scripture says nobody knows the words. Nobody else is able to sing them. But we do know this. We may not know the exact words or phrases that are used, but we know that what's in the words, the context, is the praise of the glory of his grace. And we know that because all that God does in the earth is for this purpose that he might express his mercies to those whom he's redeemed. This is the reason that you and I were called, right? Does the scripture not say that, uh, that we are a peculiar people, that we are a, a chosen nation, that we're, we're priests of the Most High God? That, why did he choose us and why are we peculiar? Uh, why are we set apart for him that we might declare the praises of him who brought us out of darkness and into his marvelous light? I heard a, a, a pastor the other day, it was on social media, and it just stuck with me. I just shared it with a friend a second ago that he says this. He says, you know, the, the book of Isaiah is not about Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is about God. The book of Jeremiah is not about Jeremiah. The book of Jeremiah is about God. The, the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, as you track their lives through the scriptures, that, that none of those are carried down to us generation after generation that we might know about Abraham, but really the summation of Abraham's life was to teach us about God. And so it is with your life that, and my life that it's not about us, but we were created that our lives might glorify God. Amen. And so this will be our purpose now and forever that we will declare his praises. And so it's undoubtedly the fact with the 144,000 that though we may not know the words, we know the content. And the content is that they are declaring the praises of God for his goodness that he redeemed them out of the earth and saved them from his wrath. Psalm 149 says, praise the Lord, let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. 
Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. And so it is, this is our honor, uh, that we would be endowed with the ability and the purpose to give God praise. And I just stop and kind of meditate on that for a minute because I think that if this is the purpose of all of heaven, um, then how do we bring heaven to earth? In other words, when we pray a prayer like, uh, uh, Father, your will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what's taking place in heaven? What should that look like on the earth? Well, what's taking place in heaven is God is, is praised. And so if we ever want our environment to look like heaven's environment, then we just need to worship him and to give him thanks. Amen? Verse 4 says, These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. So these Jews, as it were, they come to faith, and as God preserves them for three and a half years, they, they uh, sanctify themselves as unto the Lord. They are, as it were, virgins. Now, whether that means that they, uh, in a very literal sense, abstained from sexuality, uh, we know that for sure they kept themselves pure. Uh, well, you could say that the other way around, that God kept them pure, and both of those things are true. The scripture says that God was working in them to will and to do for his good pleasure. That as we will the will of God, that God is actually the one giving us the desire to will his will. And we know this to be true by experience because until we had came to Christ, we had no desire to do his will. But yet there is still a sense in which we keep ourselves pure. We're the one who makes the decision not to get on the internet and look at pornography. We're the one who makes the decision to honor our spouse as under the Lord. We're the one who makes the decision to no longer use curse words or profanity or use foul language while we're talking because our desire now is to do everything in a way that pleases him. We're making that decision, but he's giving us the desire. And more than giving us the desire, he's also giving us the power to walk it out. We have all that we need. He's provided all that we need to live holy. We just need to say, yes, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And it's seen with these 144,000 that they have chosen to follow the Lord. And, and, I, and I think as I read this, I just thought, man, this has got to be one of the most beautiful sentences in all of Scripture. I want to read it for you again. It says this. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Let me say it again. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. Now that's opposite from the song that you and I were taught when we were kids. Mary had a little lamb. Right? How does it go? Somebody help me. Mary had a little lamb. His lamb was white as snow. And everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. But this says the exact opposite, that wherever, uh, it wasn't wherever they went, the lamb went. It was wherever the lamb went, that they went. If there was one verse that I would like my life to imitate or to reflect would be this verse. 
that he followed the lamb wherever he went. Jesus, wherever you go, I'm going too. I used to have a, a, a song that said, wherever you go, that is where I go to. Whatever you tell me, that is what I'm going to do. Wherever you go, that is where I go to. Whatever you tell me, that is what I'm going to do. It's one thing to sing it. It's another thing to live it. These are the, they're, they're called the first fruits. Uh, there's, there's differing opinions of, of why they're called uh, the, the first fruit. Obviously, God has, in a very special way, preserved them uh, from all that's happening in the earth. He's, preser he's preserved them from deception, uh, that they weren't deceived by the Antichrist. Remember, the Antichrist is doing all kinds of signs and wonders, um, signs and lying wonders, the scripture says. Uh, but they seem real to the person who's there. They're like, dude, I, I mean, I can just imagine the kind of conversations that are, are taking place. Uh, like, like somebody says, dude, I, I don't know, man. I, I think that's God, bro. And, and, and the friend's like, dude, what, what, what are you talking about? I don't know, man. Like, no, nobody could do what he's doing unless, unless that was God. So when he says, hey, you need to get the mark of the beast, you know, people are, are rationalizing and saying, well, I mean, it only makes sense if he's the creator of heaven and earth. It's nothing wrong for me to, to get the mark. But in reality, they're, they're being deceived. And we'll talk about that more in a second. But we can see here that, that these are the first fruits of the earth in the sense that God has uh, kept them in a special way. They're not deceived by the enemy. He's preserved them for three and a half years. And wherever the lamb goes, they go. I'm going to keep reading here, and this is the proclamation of the three angels that we're about to see here. In verse 6, it says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven. Now pay attention to what you're about to read, because you'll never read this again elsewhere in the scriptures. It's a fascinating scripture. It's almost a little mind-boggling. I'll explain why for me in a second as, 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 as an evangelist. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the everlasting gospel. Somebody say everlasting. everlasting. Somebody say everlasting gospel. Everlasting. This gospel which we preach is everlasting. Its implications are everlasting. The, the effects of those that receive this gospel is everlasting. The effects of those that deny this gospel is everlasting. The, the revelation, as I talked about a moment ago, the revelation upon which how we uh, experience heaven, our gratitude for all that God has done, will be rooted, as I said a moment ago, in the gospel. We'll look back to what, what he, God, all of this I experienced because of what you did. We'll always have an eye to the gospel. You, you never outgrow the gospel. You, you grow into the gospel. Eternity is a constant revelation of the width, the depth, the height, the length, and the riches of glory of God's grace that is beheld in the gospel. Amen? It's the everlasting gospel the scripture says 
Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell in the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and springs of water. You cannot read the book of Revelation and miss the bold mercies of God, even in the face of judgment. That a book so prevalent with wrath has so many instances of opportunities for repentance. For now even an angel should be made to preach unto them the everlasting gospel to all men. It doesn't say that the gospel is preached to God's elect. It says the gospel is preached to everyone. But what's interesting for me is to see that it's an angel preaching the gospel. It's not as though the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not enough. But I think in some sense to prove the hardness of heart of those that refuse to believe. And as an opportunity to give them the chance to repent. God now sends an angel. Now, I read that as an evangelist, and, and um, I'm given pause, and I'll tell you why. Uh, first of all, I think about those that might read this and misunderstand their call. They might read this, and they might say, well, uh, well, nobody's listening, so God will send an angel. And in some sense, that might give us the relief of the pressure that we feel to preach the gospel. And we say, well, I don't have to do it. God will send an angel. Uh, didn't Paul say that even if an angel comes to you and preaches the gospel, other than that which I preached, which, uh, which of course would be Satan, but does it allude to the fact that angels preach the gospel? And I would, I would answer that by saying, hang on, pause. You will not find one account in Scripture, aside from this, that an angel is responsible for preaching the gospel of God's grace on this side of of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to anybody who becomes born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. Which means that this is a unique instance in, in, in history in which God sends an angel. But the proclamation to preach the gospel has been given to you and I and to you and I alone. I do believe, and maybe some of you guys have heard me say this before, I will say it a thousand times, I don't care, um, because I think it's, it's pertinent, it's important, that there are some who, who say, well, I, I heard this guy that God gave him a dream, and we think, oh, okay, well, if I don't preach the gospel, God will send that person a drink. And I will tell you, you will never find in the scriptures, in the New Testament, one person who ever received a dream or a vision and got born again. What you will find is somebody who, in uh, Cornelius, in Acts chapter 10, received a, a vision from the Lord. But the vision was to prepare him for the preaching of the gospel that would come to him. In other words, in order for him and his whole household to be saved, somebody, a human being, had to preach the gospel. Well, what about these people, these Muslims that we're hearing, well, you can't go into the Muslims' territory, so God is, is sending dreams and visions. Well, I would say if you're going to look at that from a scriptural perspective, we have no authority given to us in Scripture 
to think that that is the means by which God is saving anybody. We do maybe have a inlook to say, well, if God is indeed giving them dreams and visions, it's only for this purpose that when somebody, when he sends somebody to go and preach the gospel, that their heart is prepared to receive it. But I want to make it very clear. Everywhere we see in the scriptures where somebody is born again and saved and spirit-filled, it is through the lips of somebody, a human being, preaching the gospel, which means our responsibility is never negated. In fact, Romans chapter 10 tells us, how can they believe in the one that they have not heard? And the answer is rhetorical. They will not. They will not believe in the one that they have never heard. And then he says, how can they hear unless they get a dream or a vision? That's not what he says, is it? He says, how can they hear? How can they hear about this one that saves unless somebody goes and preaches the gospel? You and I have a job to do, and it's a glorious job, right? I tell my evangelism class all the time, uh, if you're waiting not to become nervous, you'll never preach the gospel. I got news for you. I teach classes on how to preach the gospel, and almost every opportunity I get to preach the gospel, I'm still scared out of my mind. And I encourage my class with that, right? <laughs> like, it never gets easy. Embrace it. Why? Because you love him. Because you bow to him more than you bow to your own fear. And because you love people and you want to see them saved. Now, in this one particular instance, it seems as though this is not a metaphor. I wouldn't interpret it that way. It does seem as though God is actually sending an angel, and in fact, three angels, to proclaim the, the message of the gospel. But even with that, we read later in Revelation 16 that, that they did not repent and refuse to give him glory. This is the same indictment that's given about us here and now in Romans chapter 1. It says, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Uh, we see in Revelation chapter 6 that no matter how God reveals himself in the earth, that uh, they would rather call upon the mountain and the rocks to fall on them. Remember that? They, they cried out, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. I just find it interesting that uh, you see again and again through the book of Revelation, God's mercy as he sends messengers and even signs and wonders to remind people that, hey, this is the real deal. This is everything that these Christians have been talking about. And yet, even then, they refuse to believe, even with an angel flying through the heavens declaring the gospel. They'll find a reason not to believe. So there's another angel in verse 8. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The second angel is declaring the judgment of God upon the unrepentant. Babylon was a city that, uh, which men had built a tower to heaven in order to make a name for themselves. And as, um, 
So you could say that it maybe symbolically represents every religion to, to false gods because it was out of Babylon that every religion had sprung. So this can be seen as the determined judgment of the collective organized rebellion. But an angel is sent to warn them. And then we see again in verse 9, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. I remember reading this portion of scripture when I was in my apartment. Some of you guys have heard me say this a thousand times. It's just part of my testimony. But I was given a Bible. I was heavily using drugs at the time, smoking weed. And I went right to the book of Revelation. I remember reading this verse, and not because I was high, okay? I remember reading this verse, and all of a sudden, I, I, I was scared to death. Fear entered into my heart like never before. I remember reading that the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and that they have no rest day or night. And for the first time, I thought to myself, what if hell is real? And, 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 and I thought, if hell is real, I, I don't want to go. Now, the angel is, it doesn't get any clearer than this, right? Like the angel is now just being as blunt as he possibly can. Hey, listen, this is a warning to all the earth. If you get the mark of the beast, you will not be saved. There is no hope for redemption for you after this. You are, you are making a covenant with the Antichrist, and you will pay the ultimate price. It will be your final act of rebellion against God Almighty. Now, the angel couldn't get any clearer, and yet the scripture tells us that many are deceived. How, how is this? They have not only the, the testimony of three angels. They've got 2,000 years of history recorded in this book. I can just, to kind of prolong that conversation with, with I don't know, Billy and his friend, right? <laughs> I don't know, man, I really, I really, did you see what he just did? And Billy's like, dude, I'm telling you, that's not God. And Billy, Billy pulls out his Bible. Maybe, maybe at this point, uh, Bibles are being banished from the earth. I, I, I don't know, but... Maybe he, he's got a hidden copy, or maybe he had it by memory. And he goes, dude, I, I remember. Maybe he's not even a Christian, but he remembers what his parents taught him, right? And he remembers, I, I remember there's this verse that talks about that the Antichrist is, will rise up. Which, by the way, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm specifically thinking of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And he says that, uh, and, it, and it says that there will be one who rises up and he'll deceive many. And he'll do all kinds of signs and lying wonders. And I can just picture his friend going, oh, bro, enough with the Bible stuff. Right? So deceived 
And I do think to some extent these conversations will actually happen. So deceived that somebody will actually say, don't you realize that this is the very thing that the scriptures warned us against? It's actually written. I can open up the book and show you how this was written 2,000 years ago that there's going to be one who rises up in Jerusalem, sits on the throne, proclaims that everybody gets his name written on their forehead and on their forehand and, and is not able to buy or sell and even gives us the number of the name and the mark of the beast. And they go, dude, I can't believe you, you believe that stuff. Bro, that's fables. Now, the reason I don't think that's such a, 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 a far fetch is because, number one, the scripture tells us they're going to be deceived. But, but, not, but because, number two, we have all the evidence right now, and people are saying the same thing. Are you with me? Which, by the way, also tells us this. There's no greater sign for believing than the sign of the cross. I'm not talking about this sign. I'm talking about his death and resurrection. There's a proof that God has given to every man that he is Lord. And that proof is that he rose his son from the dead. Remember when they're asking Jesus for, uh, for more proof, then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him asked what he would show them, a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the sign of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Remember, Jonah was in the belly of the whale for, for three days and three nights, and so it is that Jesus says that he'll be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights. So watch this. So that if any person is looking for a sign to know that the word of God is true, they need to no, look no further than the death and the resurrection of Christ. And we don't only have the sign, we have the Holy Spirit who bears witness to us. So these who are denying this truth are not only denying what is true and written, but they're denying the testimony that the Holy Spirit is bearing in their hearts. They're rejecting it out of their conscience and out of their heart. A couple quick observations about hell. Hell is a real place. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. This is those who get the mark of the beast. In the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. Hell is a place of eternal torment. It's forever. Uh, the fire is to be taken literal. I think one of the ways uh, within the context of this verse that you can see that the fire is literal is that it says uh, fire and brimstone. Well, brimstone, also known as sulfur, is an actual chemical, a material with a chemical compound. So when you start talking about metaphors and this and that, you don't just all of a sudden bust out with a, with a, with a chemical compound. Now you're talking about something that's absolute and real. And so the Bible says that that, uh, that, there, that this place, this hell, will not only be with fire, but with sulfur. An actual burning chemical that, that burns blue when you burn it. It also says there's no rest, day or night. I take that to mean that there's no relief. Forever. 
And then it says that hell is in the presence of the angel and the lamb. Now, I would ask the question, well, which one is it? Is it, is it in, in his presence or is it not in his presence? Because 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 says, and you, who are troubled, uh, and you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So which one is it? This one says, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 tells us that they'll be banished from God's presence. But this verse here in Revelation tells us that they'll be in the presence of the Lamb and of the angels. And the answer is both. They'll be banished from the presence of God's love, his mercy, his grace, and they'll be forever in the presence of his wrath and indignation. That God's presence in hell will be his constant displeasure. We who have trusted Christ will be invited into this holy communion where we'll fellowship forever with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that the love that the Father has for the Son and the love that the Son has for the Father, the Scripture says on that day we will know that we are in Christ as Christ is in the Father and that the love that God has poured out on His Son is now love that's being poured out on us because we're in Christ. And that'll be our portion forever. But then there will be those who will be excommunicated from his presence. And they will forever feel the wrath and indignation. Not only that they're cast out of his presence, but they're forever in the presence of his displeasure. Such a, a horrible, horrible thought. There was one other thought that I had here. I'm trying to think what that thought was. We'll move on. Verse 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. It, uh, some Commentators say that uh, the reason that it said that blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, which is an interesting phrase because blessed are those that die in the Lord, the scriptures tell us, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. So why is it from now on? And it's possible that uh, because th those that are on the earth who, who now die are going to be those that die in persecution. They're going to be those who give their life to the Lord and die as a result of it. And so from now on, those that, that die in the earth uh, who are believers, they're, they're blessed because they have this special blessing. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake and for the sake of the gospel. There's a, there's a special blessing for those that endure persecution. And it's possible that this phrase, this reference, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, may be alluding to that fact. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Verse 14, then I looked and behold, a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust your sickle 
and reap, for the time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and then the earth was reaped. It should be noted that God does not reap until the earth is ripe. That is to say that the earth will be fattened with sin and overwhelmingly ready for judgment. I think that's an important note to kind of just put in the back of your mind, that God waits. He waits, as it were, to let sin reach its full before he sends judgment. That's to say that, number one, that God is merciful and he's slow to anger, that God is patient. But that is also to say that when God finally does show his wrath, it will be when sin is ripe. In other words, there's now no question of whether those who received wrath were truly worthy of it. The question could sound like this. Was God really uh, just in sending them to hell? And he allows, their, their, he allows their sin to abound and abound, and he shows more grace and more grace, and he sends angels to preach the gospel, and he does, he fulfills his word by sending signs and wonders and plagues, and, and they pay no attention. Instead, they keep on sinning and sinning and rebelling, and so one day God says, enough. But at this point, there's now no discrepancy as to whether God is just in punishing them. Because he has allowed their sin to reach its full measure. Which may, in some sense, answer the question, if God is good, why does he allow sin to abound? Why does he allow bad things to happen? And maybe what's presented to us in the scriptures is so that when the wicked are judged, there will be no question in anybody's mind whether God was just in giving them what he gives. So that when sinners keep on sinning, they're actually storing up for themselves more and more wrath. And that in some sense, God may even allow the sinner to keep on sinning. In one sense, that he might repent, give him time. And in another sense, that he allows him to be fattened for the slaughter. So that on that day, there's no question of God's justice. Are you with me? I'm not going to get into it for the sake of time, but you can see another, um, uh, you can see this principle also laid out in Genesis chapter 15, where God tells uh, Abram that his descendants are not going to inherit the land of Canaan because the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached their full. In other words, God has, is going to allow them. What was the sin of the Amorites? It was incest, child sacrifice, adultery, homosexuality, har harlotry, idol worship, witchcraft, self-mutilation. And God let them keep on sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning for 430 years before he ever eradicated them out of the land. And he, and he told Abraham, your, your descendants will not go into the land until their sin has reached their full. And when it's reached its full, then I'll give you permission to go in and bring my judgment. But let it be known that I was patient, that I was gracious, but also let it be known that they responded in rebellion so that their, sin, their, uh, their punishment was just. Verse, seven, um, verse 17, then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle, and another angel came out of the altar who had the power 
over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Uh, that's estimated to be about approximately 200 miles. You can picture, uh, as it were, a lake of blood spanning for 200 miles. Um, many believe that this is a reference to the War of Armageddon, which can be seen in Revelation chapter 16. For the sake of time, I'm going to end there, and I just want to pull out three takeaways. As we read through Revelation chapter 14, there's three prominent thoughts that come to my mind. Number one, God is faithful to preserve everyone who calls upon his name. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what your excuse may be. Excuses such as, I'm not ready to give my life to the Lord yet because I'm afraid I'm going to fail him. And the truth is, you will fail him. And that's why you call upon his name. Because he's the one that can power and strengthen you to do what you normally would not be able to do without his help. God, I will fail you, and that's why I need your help. Help me not to fail you. I will do it. But with God, all things are possible. God is faithful to preserve you. And he's faithful to preserve everyone who calls upon his name. The second thing is that In God's wrath, the justice of God will not be in question, for everyone will reveal how wickedly stubborn and sinful their heart truly is. So as we read this chapter, we see that God's justice is on full display. And yet at the same time, we see that the sinfulness of man is on full display. And so we say, well, God is just and giving man what he deserves. And God would be just if he gave us what we deserve. But thank God that he's a God of mercy. And I want to go back to point one, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's you tonight, I would ask you, what in the world are you waiting for? Last and final point, heaven will be filled with the praises of God's goodness. It is for this reason that we have been born again. We see again and again that heaven is going to be filled with gratitude towards God's mercies. And as I read that today and meditated on this, I just thought about, well, what does our life look like now? Do we imitate heaven? Are we grateful? Do we recognize him as the lamb who has taken away the sin of the world? Do we have more of an eye towards our shortcomings or his mercies? True repentance as we repent before the Lord should never leave us with our head down, wallowing in our own failure. True repentance should leave us with our head up, saying, God, I know that I've fallen short, but you're able to pick me up, to wash me clean, to baptize me afresh with the Holy Spirit. And so it's in you and you alone that I trust I heard a wise man once say that your eyes, where your eyes look, your feet will follow. <laughs> and if your eyes are here, it's never good. 
A wrestler once said, if you can, have him, if you can hold a man's head down and have him look at his chest, you got him. <laughs> you got him. But if our eyes are on Jesus, he promised he'll be faithful to the end. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you do this? Would you just pray with me uh, tonight? And as the worship team uh, comes on, I'm just going just gonna to pray with, with us all. God, is, is written in the scriptures, we acknowledge you as the creator of heaven and earth. You're the one who created the seas and the springs of water that rush down the mountains. You're the one who gives life and breath to all. You're not worshipped by men's hands as though you needed anything, but it's by your grace and your grace alone that you've called us to yourself, that you've given us the opportunity to be forgiven. God, we thank you for that. Uh, Lord, I pray for those that are believers uh, tonight, God, that their lives would be filled with praise, that you would illuminate the, the eyes of their understanding, that they would just kind of meditate throughout the week on how you've provided for them, uh, how you've done good to them all the days of their life, how you've promised to do good all the days of their future. And God, that as we think upon these things, we would give you the glory and honor that you deserve. But I also pray for those that, that don't know you. God, your word says that the wrath of God, as it were, abides over them even now. Uh, Lord, that judgment is looming. But you've come that they might have life and life abundantly. That they would be forgiven of their sins, that they would be washed clean. And so, Father, I ask that even now, God, that you press upon their heart to call upon your name. And if that's you, I'm just going to ask you boldly, right where you're at, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, God is inviting you into a relationship with him. He wants to spare you from the judgment that's to come. And he wants to give you a new life here and now. And yes, I do believe that God can do it right, right now if you'll but call upon his name. If, if that's you, would you just lift up your hand? I just want to pray with you. Anybody in this place that wants to give their life to Jesus for the first time? Just right where you're at. I'm not going to call you out. Jesus knows who you are. Father, we pray that your word would not come back void. May we wrestle with you and the Holy Spirit until you win the battle for our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.